Hey marketers, if you want to get the latest news, trends, and insights in marketing, advertising, and tech, check out the Adweek Podcast Network. Learn from leading voices across media and marketing with original shows like Yeah, That's Probably an Ad, Marketing Vanguard, and Tech Magic with Kathy Hackle. Start listening now by searching Adweek wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey there, are you ready to elevate your personal brand or company? Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for video content and audience building. Imagine growing your brand organically on social media without the hassle of editing videos for hours. With Viral Growth, it's a breeze. They handle the brainstorming, scripting, and editing while you simply just hit record. And don't worry about your niche. They cater to everyone, from business and marketing to health and wellness. Are you ready to make waves in the social media realm? Visit viralgrowth.io and use code ADWEEK, that's A-D-W-E-E-K, all lowercase, and get 10% off your plan. My dad works in B2B marketing. He came by my school for career day and said he was a big ROAS man. Then he told everyone how much he loved calculating his return on ad spend. My friends still laugh at me to this day. Not everyone gets B2B, but with LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people who do. Get $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash generate to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash generate. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. You're listening to, yeah, that's probably an ad. This is the Adweek Podcast. I'm David Greiner. I'm an editor with Adweek.com. And with me is Tim Nudd, our creative editor. And we are ready to talk about Apple's big announcement. Uh, we are recording this Tuesday afternoon. Apple just had its big event uh, where they unveiled, as expected, the iPhone 8, the iPhone 8 Plus, but also the much-rumored iPhone X uh, and a few other big announcements. But this is their $1,000 super phone that eliminates the home button and takes us boldly into the future. So uh, before we get into the meat of our usual podcast uh, structure, I want to take a minute to talk about what we learned and some of the creative that they're using to roll it out. Uh, Tim, first, let's just talk about the, uh, uh, you know, it's probably not too much to say about the 8. It was a bit of a you know, mildly underwhelming uh, set of announcements. It's mildly better than the 7. Yeah, I think it's a souped-up 7, essentially. Yeah, I think it shoots 4K in 60 frames per second instead of 30. It's it's that level of, like, you know, modest improvement. Yeah. And, and people were like, you, you, people knew that the X was coming solely by how underwhelming the 8 was. <laughs> yes, exactly. People are like, there has to be something else if if it's this boring. So let's jump to the X. Uh, well, what, what did you think of it? It's actually, they're referring to it as the 10, so it's not the X. I it's know. The, it's the iPhone know, 10. But, I, but does but, that make but, any sense? We could refer to it as the X during this podcast, if you like. Why is it the 10? Is well, there a 9? There is not a 9, but you know, this is <laughs> this is a thing that Apple did going back to its operating system when they did OS 10, which was also stylized as OS X. It's kind of the reverse of, of Super Bowl uh, numbering, if you think about it, because when, when the Super Bowl last year finally got to Super Bowl L, they went with Super Bowl 50, and now, yeah. they're, and now they're back to LI. So they've, you know, the, Apple likes their single single letters. But, um, yeah, the 10, I mean, they pulled a head fake. Of, you know, I don't know if, if people were, were super surprised at the very end of the presentation today. They said, you know, we've got one more thing, which th- they've done that before at, at some of these Apple events. And then they they went ahead and introduced really the star of the show, which is this this new 10 phone. Um, yeah, I mean, the big one of the big things is the the display goes to the edge of the screen and there's no home button, so really the the screen space on it is pretty impressive. It's also got a facial recognition software inside it, so you unlock it just by looking at it, which is which is pretty sci-fi. Um, and it, but it's a thousand dollars. I mean, thankfully I bought a seven last year, so I'm not in the market for an upgrade until probably next year. I don't know if I'd spend a thousand bucks on this thing, but um, it is quite nice looking. Well, and the other thing, the 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 unspoken truth of pricing on these uh, iPhones is that. Uh, you know the it's it's probably going to be a thousand unless you actually want the the expanded memory. You know, it's like they never give you the pricing for the the biggest model. So you get there and it's like, oh well, that's six hundred bucks. Oh, did you want more than sixteen gigabytes of, <laughs> of storage <laughs> right. space? And so right. I always go for the biggest possible hard drive. Um, I just do too. Make sure actually, I, never I got the I got the seven with the two fifty six uh, gig drive, yeah. which I'll never fill yeah. up. 
Um, so that's one thing is that yeah, I'll be impressed if it actually even is a thousand dollars when you go to buy it. It'll probably clock in closer to twelve hundred. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, the the display and the facial recognition. The so and the display, of course, the the thing we haven't really mentioned is that it uh, does away with the home button and kind of you know it get it puts a little more emphasis on the side buttons it seems to um mm-hmm. and then also creates some new interfaces but that facial recognition or the facial scanning as a security system as a way to unlock your phone that certainly seemed to spark the most skepticism mm-hmm. yeah i don't know i don't know how it's going to work whether it's going to work well i mean the uh you know the the thumbprint thing was was a pretty big advance when they when they did, you know, that method of accessing your phone, um, which I found to be, you know, really pr- pretty easy and user friendly. I don't know if if having it point at your face is necessarily going to be that much easier than than what you already had to do with 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 the thumbprint. Um, but yeah, I guess you know they they wouldn't roll it out if it wasn't working well, right? That, that's more of a Samsung thing. Uh, you do know it it didn't work on stage the first time they demoed. (laughs) (laughs) That's always a kiss of death on these things, isn't it? Yeah, it's like old school Apple announcements. But yeah, the first time they tried to do the face scan, it didn't work. And I think he grabbed another phone and it it worked. But, uh, you know, yeah, not the biggest... uh, confidence boost out of the gate right there. But, but you know, I saw some, several people actually uh, mentioning a very believable scenario, which is now when you travel, when you get to a border, sometimes they tell you, unlock your phone, we want to see what's in it. And, mm-hmm. and I mean, U- U.S. border guards, Not we're not talking like to get into the Ukraine or something. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so the, you know, the, the idea that now they can just take your phone and point it at your face. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it's like 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 people saying, "Oh, can they make you shove your thumb on it?" Uh, you know, and then now it's like, "Well, can they just point it at your face and unlock it?" I I think this is gonna we're just gonna have to learn how it works and and what the the reality of it is uh, with the it, you know the thumbprint's a good example. You don't have to use that, mm-hmm. uh, and a lot of security uh, experts tell you not to because a code is still you know a complex code is still better. Right, right. Uh, but uh, and you know. I think I think we will see. Uh, what, what were some other features that kind of stuck out to you? Well, I think the you know people use these phones for cameras so much, and I think the, you know that's the, the 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 cameras on these things are pretty spectacular. Uh, every time there's a new iPhone, it gets significantly better. And these apparently, I couldn't tell you the specs offhand, but as I was watching the the presentation today, um, there were certainly some some uh, some pretty cool demos of, of the kinds of photos and lighting features that some of these things have now, which are separate from filters. You know, everyone's used to Instagram filters. These are um, these new iPhones have a way of of changing the lighting uh, appearance in, in photos that you take, and the and the video capabilities are just incredible nowadays. And so, you know, I personally use my phone a lot for for video and photo. Um, almost any phone can get your email. I mean, the, the hardware, uh, the, the, the camera hardware that these phones have is, is astonishing. And it seems like they've taken a, a pretty good step forward uh, in that regard on these phones, too. Well, and, and ironically, with the word forward, uh, you know, I really think that the tipping point we saw with this announcement was that the forward facing camera. So, so just to clarify terminology here, when we say forward facing, it usually means facing you. Mm-hmm. Uh, rear facing means facing away. We The camera we normally take pictures with of other people is the rear-facing camera. That's the one with the 12-megapixel camera, and mm-hmm. it's always like your, your more hardcore uh, camera in terms of lens power. But they, I feel like this today was the tipping point, both between the 8 and the and the 10. I really hate calling it the 10, but, um, you know, that that we're seeing the focus being put on the, the front-facing camera. Uh, because it, I, there were so many features announced that really benefit selfies, that really uh, take advantage or or make the most of integrating your face and the user, which makes a lot of sense, right? I mean, we've all kind of plateaued what the quality level at which we want to take photos and videos. Mm-hmm. Uh, what The areas for improvement are on the other side of how you take pictures of yourself, how flattering those can be. I love the portrait mode uh, on the, the iPhone 7. I don't know if you've played with that much. Uh, that's a that's an amazing feature, but it only works, you know, facing away from you. It only works to take pictures of, and you have to be a certain distance from your subject. And I, I think that was the kind of feature that really gave us a hint of what was to come uh, mm-hmm. with the 10, because now you can see all these cool, play with the contrast and the lighting and really manipulate the photo in real time. 
uh, and, and you know, you end up with these amazing products. So I do think that this was today was the day uh, that we switched over to you know, kind of the front-facing camera being the priority. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, we also got a lot of ads today for these devices. Uh, it wasn't just the day for the, the iPhone either. They they introduced uh, the Series Three of the Apple Watch. Uh, which the big thing there was the the watch is no longer uh, tethered to the iPhone. It's got uh, LTE sort of cellular capability, and so um, th- they made a couple ads for that. In, in total, I think there were three new spots uh, for the for, for the iPhone 10. Um, there were two for the 8 and 8 Plus, and then there were uh, two also for the watch. So a ton of new ads. Um, most interesting, I think, um, they did a, a, two th- a two minute and 30 second spot for the watch called Dear Apple. And uh, we posted this a, a little while ago on our website. Um, it's really like a, a, a long testimonial uh, of actual people. Uh, the people in the ad are real Apple customers who have written letters to Apple about the Apple Watch. And you know, apparently they love it and it's changed their lives. I mean, I find this, this it's a really nicely made commercial. I just I find it a little funny that they found all these people that love the Apple Watch so much that they could shove them into a long ad like this. Uh, you know, notoriously, the, the Apple Watch has been underwhelming to a lot of people. Uh, although maybe this, you know, this cellular uh, capability might change that. If it, if it can work on its own, you don't have to take your your phone along with you that may, uh, for people involved in a lot of, you know, sports and, and the like, um, that might actually make the product quite a bit better for, for them. So in addition to that Dear Apple, which was a 230, there was another, um, a really beautifully shot surfing ad where a guy, uh, I think it's about a 30 or maybe a little longer, uh, a, a guy's surfing and gets a, gets a phone call on his, on his, uh, on his watch while he's surfing. And, you know, Apple's art direction on their on a lot of their commercials is sort of second to none, and this was really a beautiful, beautiful spot. Um, and then, as far as the iPhone 10 itself, there was a launch spot that was a 30 that was, again, like a really uh, lovely, beautifully made ad. It just shows the screen kind of being filled up by um, looks like multicolored uh, liquid or paint. And uh, Apple's really excelled, as I said, at, at this kind of commercial over the years. And then we got some sort of longer form introductory videos for several of these products, including including the eight. So, yeah, a ton of new ads and uh, beautifully made as always. Um, you know, we'll see if the products kind of match up to, uh, to to what the ads promise. Yeah, definitely visit adweek.com. Check out Tim's roundup that's got uh, handy links to all of those. Uh, and you know, man, it, what I've noticed lately with Apple ads, and it's great because it's kind of a return to minimalism, is that when I see one of their official ads, you know, a thirty, I can automatically see this is going to look so good on Instagram. You know, mm-hmm. this is going to look so good as even a display ad that with audio turned off. Like they've they've really kind of cracked that nut of how do you create an ad approach that doesn't require audio, that doesn't require to run at the full 30 seconds, like that sloshing multicolor liquid cascading around the, the the kind of rounded sides of the phone. It's a beautiful image. You only really need to see like three seconds of it to be impressed. Uh, and so I, I just, the first thing I thought when I saw that was like, we're going to see that on every every ad medium that <laughs> you yeah, have no, in true. your life. I mean, the devil's advocate position there is that, you know, the Apple was built on on conceptual strength, not necessarily executional, although th- their execution was great too. When you think about 1984 or Think Different or Switchers or I'm a Mac, I'm a PC, these were just brilliant ideas that were executed awesomely. Um, the new ads, the, the knock on them can be that they look beautiful, but that they're just basically showing off the product. Um, I think there's something to that. You know, this Dear Apple thing is is more of a of a concept. Um, so they are they are trying both approaches at the moment. Um, but it all looks great. I, I did. You know, I'm I'm a fan of the new work, to be honest. It, you know, I I think that's an interesting point, and I feel like the the distinction I would probably draw there is that for a long time Apple was a challenger brand, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it was always Apple the underdog, and I think their tonality in their ads was always very like scrappy and clever and a bit you know almost annoyingly kind of. Uh, 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 you know, jabbing at the the big at Microsoft and at PCs, mm-hmm. and I feel like now they are the top dog, and they've become a bit more of that aspirational brand. 
you know, they've become the, we are the beautiful lifestyle that you aspire to. And they've lost a lot of the cleverness, but I just don't think they have anyone to punch up to anymore. Yeah, they you know? may not need the cleverness. They just need to show you uh, how, how beautiful their products are. All right. Well, um, definitely check out adweek.com. We're going to have some more coverage of the new iPhones and the other announcements. I, I would also say the only thing I didn't mention is that there are a lot of improvements here for AR. I think we're going to see a lot more potential. There's new gyroscope, new accelerometer, better AR features within the 8, definitely within the 10. Uh, so I, I, I really think in terms of what the impact is going to be for marketers, I, I feel like there's a lot there uh, to play with. Gyroscope and accelerometer were huge additions to the original iPhone and made a gigantic difference for what was capable uh, I think that was actually the first uh, cover story I ever wrote for Adweek, like ages and ages ago, about kind of the opportunities that were opened up by those first ones, and now it's getting much better. So that shall be interesting to watch. All right, now that we have uh, unpacked the new iPhone, not literally, but at least heard more about what's going to be coming, we're going to segue to the usual format of our show, where we have a panel of other Adweek experts joining us to discuss some other topics in the marketing world. I'd like to welcome back Robert Clara, a senior editor who covers brand marketing and is our resident genius on all things historic and contextual about the history of brands. Welcome back, Robert. Thank you, David. That's a, those are big shoes to fill. Hey, uh, speaking of which, I don't think we've had you back on since you published your last book. No, I don't think you have. Let's let's pimp it. Uh, I believe I'll I'll do the hard work here. I believe it is called the Devil's Mercedes, right? That's correct. Yes. Please pimp away. I'm into this. <laughs> it is the definitive history of uh, of Hitler's uh, limousine and the many variations thereof. It's a fascinating book. Uh, strongly recommend. I really enjoyed reading it. So. Uh, uh, yeah, hard, uh, big recommendation for Robert Clara's uh, The Devil's Mercedes. Also, welcome back to Sammy Main, a staff writer covering the digital media industry. Sammy, it is always great to have you here. Hi, guys. It's always great to be here. Thank you, David. All right. And, of course, with us as he is each week is Tim Nutt, who we've already introduced. But welcome back to the main part of the show, Tim. Thank you. All right. So we're going to dive into the news. So uh, this week uh, in our print issue, we had a really fun uh, and interesting piece on Fearless Girl, uh, which is kind of the defining marketing moment of 2017. Uh, It is, of course, the statue that was placed in Wall Street to promote State Street Global Advisors and their She Fund, which is an investment fund that invests in uh, companies that have women in leadership roles. Uh, It is obviously just the biggest winner on the award circuit this year. It won, uh, I believe, 18 Cannes Lions, four Grand Prix, uh, and a bevy of other uh, honors. It's a huge PR coup uh, for State Street and for the agency, McCann, that was behind it. We've, we've talked about it a bunch here, so I'm not going to go in too deep on uh, Fearless Girl. But we had a great piece this week on uh, from Katie Richards, our staff writer covering the agency world, about the actual impact uh, for the client. So this is one of those classic uh, marketing things where people say, yeah, yeah, but what did it really do for the client? And uh, apparently the answer is quite a bit. Uh, so, you know, I definitely recommend that you look up uh, Katie Richards' piece uh, on adweek.com and in the print issue this week about the impact. But we're going to go over a few of the kind of talking points here. Um, so so to kind of give you some context, State Street uh, is the third largest asset manager. Uh, th- this is not an industry where people really know uh, the names of these players anyway. Uh, there's UBS and uh, I think BlackRock or something. like. That. I mean, they're not big household names. Uh, but State Street really wanted more attention both at the consumer level and within the, you know, kind of awareness among investors about what they invest in. Uh, and to raise awareness of this she fund. Uh, they have not released their budget for that project, but it's been estimated in our story around 250000 uh, total cost to create this thing, so not, not a big spend. And the results were pretty staggering. They got, of course, $7.4 million in free publicity, and that's probably on the conservative end, I would say. Uh, it sparked about a million tweets uh, about the statue, 215,000 Instagram posts. Okay, those are all publicity numbers, though. That is not hard tack numbers. Uh, but there were quite a few uh, financial impact numbers here. Uh, they had a 384% increase in trading volume on their she fund within three days of the statue coming out. 
Uh, and then that uh, seemed to hold on pretty strong. They had about 170% increase over 20 days. So it definitely kept up beyond just kind of that initial PR push. What I thought was most interesting is that uh, they invest in 476 companies uh, across State Street, and they basically reached out to each of them about this, uh, you know, this project and about their she fund. And of that 476, uh, 76, so 16%, basically uh, pledged to work with them toward getting better gender balance in their leadership. And State Street uh, essentially uh, punished the other 400 uh, by not voting to reelect their chairman. You know, like any investor in a company, you get to vote on who should be on the board. Uh, and they voted against the 400 who basically said, nah, we're, we're good. We don't really need to focus on uh, getting more women in leadership. So uh, I, I thought that was pretty fascinating. Uh, Tim, what, what did you think of seeing some of these numbers behind something where we've debated this and discussed it a lot cre- creatively, uh, but seeing some of these numbers? Yeah, it was nice. You know, I enjoyed Katie's piece a lot. It was nice to see the numbers here. That $7.4 million in free publicity seems extremely low to me. I don't I, – I, that's, you know, that's one and a half Super Bowl ads. I mean, you, you can't tell me that Feral Scroll didn't get more publicity than one and a half Super Bowl ads. Yeah. Uh, you yeah. know, given the like ridiculously billion. inflated case study math, uh, I would have expected that number to be 7.4 billion in free publicity, it's probably, <laughs> even though that would have been overstating it. But yeah, really nice to see, um, you know, creativity that makes a difference in the clients on the bottom line. Sammy, what do you think? Is is this one that obviously it was a, um, it, you know, it was a social coup, but it, do you think that it actually had much impact beyond Fearless Girl just being a statue that people want to pose with? Do you, do you see that it really had much impact for the client itself? No. <laughs> like, I, oh, okay. I feel like you kind of said it at the top. It's still not going to be one of those household names. People, I feel, kind of who aren't in that business already probably don't know what it was for and just thought it was kind of a cool art by protest type installation. Um, so I, I'm not quite sure if that's what they wanted, though, to I'm sure that wasn't one of their goals to become, you know, a household hero of, of women everywhere. But they definitely did find the right time and the right opportunity to kind of make a big splash within their own industry, it sounds like. Yeah, I mean, I would guess that they at least got attention among the right people, you know, the, mm-hmm. the kind that they want to be getting in front of and that they want to be discussing them and their initiative. Uh, Robert, do you think this one's going to go down long term as a success for the client as much as it is a success for the agency? I, you know, I don't know. I mean, I think what they did was extremely clever. Um, but uh, one thing that surprised me in all of this is uh, while they were busy exerting pressure uh, on other companies uh, about the women in leadership on their boards, uh, I took a few minutes and uh, went to the State Street site and uh, called up the page that has uh, all 28 members of their leadership team, and only five of them are women. Um, and so that comes out to a little bit less than 18 percent. And uh, so if if they're going to be kind of on their soapbox like this behind this cause, I would have thought that maybe they would have kind of gotten their own house in a little bit more order. I haven't really heard many people talking about this, but I thought it was worth throwing out. Yeah, that's an interesting point. We certainly hear that a lot. I remember when clients about a year ago were really uh, putting out a mandate for better diversity and better gender representation in the agencies they work with. And some people, uh, you know, not so much the agencies themselves, who, of course, publicly just said, yes, you're right, we will. Uh, But then behind the scenes, a lot of people were saying, like, wait, these are a bunch of white guys, too. Uh, And, I, you know, I think that there's it maybe it's a, a sad sign that their bar was set relatively low that they're just talking about women in leadership positions, you know, and, and how few companies even have that. Yeah, and I mean, if you were also to call up other like their competition, I'm sure that the uh, the prevalence of women is probably even less than that. Um, the other thing that jumped out for me was that the the 76, uh, 76 uh, players, sixteen uh, percent of them, pledged to work toward better gender balance. I just kind of wonder what that actually means. Um, you know, come back to them in a year and see how much progress they've made. Is is my thinking? Yeah, it's a good. You point. know, we should also mention here that uh, Advertising Week is coming up, and our managing editor Steph Patrick is going to be moderating a panel all about Fearless Girl. Uh, with uh, the CMO from from State Street and also a couple of execs from McCann. Uh, So that's on Thursday, September 28th. I believe it's in the afternoon. Um, So, yeah, check out Steph. uh, And if you want to hear more about this campaign and and what uh, marketers can learn from it, um, I'm sure that will be an entertaining and uh, enthralling session to, to attend. 
Yeah, yeah, good point. All right, uh, we're going to move over to one other fun news item. This is really just because I thought it would be a lot of fun to talk about. <laughs> uh, I, I love good pop-ups. I love good, uh, you know, activations. And Bumble had one of my favorite in recent memory. Uh, this is a, a dating app for those of you like myself who are not on the market. Uh, this is one of the hotter uh, dating apps at the moment. Their big uh, hook being, uh, Sammy, correct me if I'm wrong, I believe that their hook is that the women are the first to send messages. Guys can't just, like, spam you on that thing, right? Correct. And and it's uh, I it might expire within like 24 hours if nobody responds to it. But yeah, uh, if you do match with somebody, it's up to uh, the woman or a female identifying partner to kind of reach out first. Great. And so what they did was they uh, they wanted to promote a new photo verification feature. Uh, so this basically to prove that the the photos that you see when you match with someone are actually them uh, and not just a better looking person that they happen to have a photo of. Uh, and so they created a uh, food truck basically called the Great Catch uh, that serves gourmet catfish because catfishing so is, a, is, of course, <laughs> when uh, people are lured in by attractive photos of someone uh, inspired by the, the film, the love you know that's i guess believable documentary mm-hmm. uh catfish it's somewhat uh, suspect which, documentary wasn't it uh, some people yeah. were calling that a faux documentary yeah i was about yeah. to say it's one of those where i'm like i'm sure there is truth in it but even watching it the first time i was like i don't know yeah it felt a little stagey right but it was still it was interesting i think that was the first time a lot of people had heard the term catfish and that was you know it was back in 2010 already so. yeah and the, and the term catfish comes about organically in yeah. the in the movie you know she's describing being a catfish like a survivor you know i'm i'm always moving i can live anywhere you know there is i forget the exact but that's where the word comes if from if you want the exact story i have it but it's probably going to take too much time well, we will just send people to Robert Clara's uh, four thousand word epic uh, on the word catfish. No, uh, but um, so the uh, you know they were basically trying to uh, show what they're doing to combat catfishing. Uh, probably not so much in the long long con scam as much as just people posting photos that aren't really them. Uh, Sammy, again, not to not to put you on the spot with this, but is this <laughs> is this a problem? Do you hear a lot of uh, single folks saying that that they're seeing photos that aren't accurate? Uh, I'm not sure if I've heard about it on dating apps. I do think it happens sometimes, but every once in a while, you'll kind of see usually very attractive women get praised on Twitter for being heroes because people will slide into their DMs asking them for like, hey, some guy just asked me for a picture of me holding up two fingers to like prove that it's me, like a peace sign, and I've been using your photos. Would you mind posing really quick and sending me the photo? And like these women are like, of course, girl, you do you. Here's a photo that you need to prove to this chump that (laughs) (laughs) like the scam that you're pulling is accurate and everybody online is like yes thank you queen you are nailing it for everybody uh so i think it's kind of gotten to a more playful point and less of kind of a a pernicious aspect of of online dating i think we're still trying to combat all of the people who are posing with exotic animals more so than using fake photos of themselves yeah i was gonna say like there should be some kind of photo verification feature that this is really your dog (laughs) your dog your (laughs) kid Kid, we there's a few other levels that we need to go through here as well. Uh, well, they created this pop-up in partnership with an Austin creative agency called Preacher, which does some really interesting work. Uh, and uh, and they also worked with a Top Chef semifinalist named Sam Talbot to create the recipes for, uh, I think they had like catfish sliders, catfish tacos, uh, some squash salad, which I don't know if that was supposed to be a metaphor for squashing false photo i don't know um but uh it, they had some great copy on this thing the side of the truck said catfish just got served <laughs> <laughs> and the cup said bottoms up bottom feeders down Perfect. uh but uh yeah it's just i mean in terms of like bumble the literally the only thing i knew about it was this whole like women message first aspect and so good on them for kind of showing that they're not just a one trick app and that they have more to more to offer i guess you know also this truck i love the truck but it's shaped like a giant twinkie did you notice that? I think oh. I think Hostess even said something about it. Is, isn't it isn't it an Airstream trailer? Or uh, uh, I mean, I guess it, I don't know. It looked like a big pill to me, but I, I don't want to get too complicated with the metaphors. Yeah, I don't know. I, I thought uh, maybe a giant fish shaped truck would have been a bit more uh, 
uh, made a bit more sense. Yeah, yeah, I guess uh, because it was yellow, it, it did, it did, uh, it, I mean. I, but even the dimensions, the dimensions were kind of the same, like rounded on the top and then kind of flat on the bottom. Hence the catfish metaphor. It was a Twinkie the whole time, <laughs> but trying to tell you it was a catfish. Pretending to be a fish papa. <laughs> That's that's deep. Yeah, I, I guess it is just a, an airstream, but you know, with that kind of definitive shape, or you know, but uh, but yeah, good point that sometimes colors make a big difference on that too. I I also think in this case, what made a big made a big difference is where they put it. I, they were in Williamsburg, right? Um, yeah, they were in three different spots, but yeah, one of them was so uh, like that's that's obviously no accident, uh, uh, given the demo that I'm sure they're going for there. Was there demo Adweek reporters? Because <laughs> well, not this Adweek reporter. <laughs> They would hit like half of them if they uh, get the right part of Brooklyn. Um, All right. Uh, Well, that's it. We are going to move on to my favorite part of the show each week, ads worth watching. Tim, what do you have for us this week? All right. This week, I wanted to talk about the first brand campaign that Wyden and Kennedy has done for Lyft, which is, of course, the ride-sharing company, uh, main rival to Uber. Um, You know, to be honest, I don't think either uh, Uber or Lyft has really done super memorable advertising. Uh, over the years beyond some one-offs. Um, but this new Lyft campaign, certainly designed to get noticed. Uh, it's got celebrities. It's got um, a pretty high-concept uh, approach in terms of the plot, uh, almost to the point of being esoteric, I would say. Um, but definitely noteworthy. Uh, and it kind of goes after Uber uh, without naming names, which is kind of interesting. Uh, also tries to deliver a message about the revolutionary nature of ride-sharing in general. Um, so there's a lot going on here, and, and, and you know, it's it's a lot to fit into 30 seconds, um, even if it didn't have an unusual creative concept, but it does have an unusual concept, uh, which is to pitch this sort of ultra-modern service uh, with scenarios that take place well in the past. In the case of the first ads several hundred years ago, um, the first spot has Jeff Bridges uh, riding the Oregon Trail back in 1836 and talking about the value of making good choices when you travel. So let's listen to a, a bit of the first ad. You always have a choice. You can choose to ride with the right people, doing things for the right reasons, you'll always end up in the right place. Or you can choose poorly, end up stranded, buzzard circling, drinking rainwater out of your boot. <laughs> the promise of a new life, the airport, or all-you-can-eat pancakes, the destination is not what matters. Although Portland's pretty happening right now, it matters how you get there. So as you can hear there, uh, tagline is, and the whole concept really is, uh, it matters how you get there. Uh, That seems to be a pretty obvious, to me, pretty obvious dig at Uber, which, as we've discussed so many times on this podcast, uh, has gone through so much bad press lately, you know, how, how they treat their employees and so on. And I think really what Lyft is trying to do here is position itself as as the right people. I think that's the phrase used in the ad uh, versus Uber, who presumably are the wrong people. Uh, it doesn't say that in the spot, but it says if you choose poorly, you end up you know you end up stranded. Um, so there's more spots in the series. Um, they don't. None of these ads actually talk about Lyft features versus Uber features. You know what the difference might be. I don't. I, I've never taken a Lyft cab, so I don't know what the differences are. Um, they really just keep it, uh, you know, at this level of of right versus wrong. Um, so, I mean, Jeff Bridges is great as usual. His voice is is incredible. He's kind of perfect for this role. Um, you know, I, I don't know. Viewers might be a little confused about, you know, why are we hanging out in 1836 on the Oregon Trail? Um, you know, Patrick Coffey, our one of our agency reporters, spoke to execs uh, both at Lyft and at Widening Kennedy about this. And they said, really, it's just to emphasize that ride sharing is is just as revolutionary uh, of a change in transportation, kind of as covered wagons were back in the day. Not totally sure that comes through. Uh, I think you've, you know, you might have a few people scratching their heads. Um, I was one of them. Yeah. Well, uh, you, there's also a new set of ads coming out, um, starring uh, Tilda Swinton and Jordan Peele, who are piloting the Apollo 14 spacecraft in 1971 as it orbits the moon. <laughs> So uh, another kind of wacky premise, uh, again, kind of designed to use celebs and, you know, this high concept approach, uh, I think as a way mostly just to be memorable, uh, also to hit Uber a little bit and then to talk about uh, or at least uh, imply the revolutionary nature of, of what they're selling here. So, you know, I mean, it's a different approach for Lyft. You know, this is a brand that's relied on, you know, much more down and dirty kind of viral videos they've had over the years. They've had celebs go undercover in disguise as Lyft drivers and they film the whole thing. 
Uh, this is obviously way more of a, of a, of a widening Kennedy kind of high, high concept approach here. Uh, I think they're executed nicely. Uh, I think they're also a little bit out there. I'm not, not sure they're going to change too many minds maybe as to who's going to take a lift, but, but I think it's probably also just kind of a first pass, uh, at, at a brand, at, at developing a new brand here. Um, but yeah, I, I would go see a feature film with Tilda Swinton and Jordan Peele's astronauts. Mm. I would see that. But these ads, um, well, we haven't actually seen uh, <laughs> seen those. But the the Jeff Bridges ones, um, they were mildly amusing and certainly quirky. It's very much kind of make rideshare great again, <laughs> like a, a little bit of a blast to the past of what the Wild West was. There's something here that just not it doesn't ring true to me. I'm going to be a stick in the mud. If if the whole idea is to convince people that. Lyft is this great way to uh, a novel and innovative way to travel. Um, even in 1836, uh, the Conestoga wagon was probably about the most miserable way that you could have traveled. Um, so they they picked that. The other thing that I didn't understand at all, and if you guys caught this, but there was this line in there about buzzards circling overhead or something like that. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I was like, is that like some kind of weird reference to the Donner Party or something? You know, like if you run out of food and get stranded on the trail. Um, although in 1836, they wouldn't have known about the Donner Party yet because they didn't starve to death until 1846. But uh, still, uh, Conestoga travel was pretty miserable. So I had to kind of scratch my head a little bit as to why they chose that metaphor. Yeah, I was, I was really hoping they would go go deep on the uh, Uber dig and just be like, you know, you picked the wrong partner to ride with. <laughs> You're going to end up eating each other other in the mountains of the Sierra Nevada. <laughs> Missed opportunity. Maybe maybe the next one. Well, that's the other thing too. Like if you choose poorly, are you really going to end up stranded and like being eaten by a buzzard? Like I've never heard that happen to an Uber rider. Yeah, maybe I'm really not going to try Lyft. <laughs> Give it time. It probably happened five months ago and we just haven't heard about it yet because they right, buried they squashed it, well it. That's right. Yeah. I, I mean, that's the thing is you, you bring up a good point, Tim, which is that they're kind of like, I, I don't think getting stranded is, uh, I, I'd be more concerned about that with an with a traditional taxi, honestly, than, you know, with Uber, where I feel like the, the, the pain point that they could really drive home is like the, you know, this, the sense of kind of creepy uh, surveillance, you know, and, and just uh, there are plenty of, of, you know, weaknesses out there in the marketplace for Uber that they could exploit, even if, even metaphorically, but anyway, you know, they... They picked their their wagon and they rode it. Uh, what else do you have for us this week? Well, the other ad I wanted to talk about is the year's creepiest ice cream commercial. Uh, <laughs> it was made by Halo Top, um, which I'll admit I did was I was totally unaware of before I saw oh, this commercial. It's a millennial never, darling. Oh, okay, I've never had it. Um, <laughs> yeah, look around at the grocery store next time. They've like taken over half of an entire case at my grocery store. I've it's heard like this. I've heard this. Came out of nowhere and just it's everywhere. I'm not a big ice cream buyer, so I, I guess I've missed this. But apparently their whole product, uh, it's about great-tasting ice cream that's super low-calorie. Is that mm-hmm. right? Yeah, yeah. High, high protein, low-calorie, low-sugar, all-natural. So basically I get the idea that they kind of want to be a millennial Ben & Jerry's. Well, like, they, tastes great but good for you. The whole thing is that you can definitely eat the whole pint in one sitting, just like we've always jokingly done during times of heartbreak. And now it won't necessarily kill you right away. It's like a little little healthier and they almost okay. encourage kind of you know you're allowed to eat the whole thing basically is halo tops gotcha. whole deal okay well over the summer they did their first big campaign it was done by uh, red tedimer o'connell and partners down in philly um these were pretty fun ads they were kind of weird they played off the idea um you know the halo top is guilt-free so the, the creative concept was you had an angel character and a devil character and the devil was all pissed off because the people eating Halo Top aren't feeling guilty about them or bad about themselves. So, you know, his role about, you know, kind of getting them to do something that's bad for them uh, is kind of, you know, he's, he's been made redundant, essentially. So that was kind of funny. Um, but then this new spot, uh, which is a cinema spot, kind of goes way out there. Uh, I don't know if you guys remember this guy, uh, this YouTube filmmaker, Mike Diva. Uh, his name's actually Mike Dahlquist, but he goes by the name Mike Diva. And he's a guy on YouTube that's um, pretty well known for doing disturbing parody ads. Uh, he did one a few years ago that we covered about a satanic Furby. Um, he also did fake campaign ads last year for Trump uh, and also for Hillary. Um, the Trump one was particularly bizarre. Uh, we actually wrote about that one too. So apparently Halotop saw Mike Diva's work and decided this was the guy to make our next commercial. 
And he did, and it's a 60-second, uh, I love it. I think it's, first of all, it's very odd. So many ads try to be odd. Um, this one's legitimately odd. It takes place in a white room where the, you have a robot who's basically force-feeding ice cream to this um, kind of dazed old woman who seems to be a prisoner of some kind. Um, so let's listen to a bit of how the ad plays out. Where am I? Humans require ice cream. What is this place? Eat the ice cream. I don't want any more. Eat the ice cream. How long have I been here? You're so hungry for delicious ice cream. Get that away from me. Where's Steven? Everyone you love is gone. There is only ice cream. So yeah, you've got um, you know a woman being force-fed your product by an insane robot. Uh, <laughs> after the robot uprising has apparently killed all her friends and family, and it ends with her screaming in a room full of malfunctioning cyborgs. So, we need more ads that say everyone you love is gone. Yeah, right. <laughs> Seriously. I mean, the fact that that's a laugh line says a lot about how well this ad was made. Uh, I just, you know, it, it, it cranks up the creepiness so well. And it just it just f- goes fully to, to, the con- to the, you know, dystopian conclusion. And um, it puts a new twist on uh, We All Scream for Ice Cream. <laughs> oh no! I didn't even think of that. Yeah, even if it's screaming <laughs> under torture of with a robot, and it will be playing in front of horror movies at the cinema, which is kind of perfect uh, media placement too. Yeah, great timing, in- with including it. it you know, right, yeah, yeah it's shattering records this uh, past weekend uh, for R-rated movie, for a horror movie, for uh, this year probably any movie. Uh, so yeah, good timing. So. Um, you know, good on Halo Top for going completely subversive and, and weird. Uh, I think it's actually going to be a pretty memorable spot for them. I just love when the when the cone like starts coming out of the the chest of the robot, <laughs> <laughs> and it just it's just creepily sliding to order, and she's giving it this look like. Well, that does look good. <laughs> yeah, it might make me remember remember Halo Top, but I don't know if it'll make me want to buy the creepy ice cream. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think this this kind of ad is really just like, let's get noticed. Let's do something. I mean, mm-hmm. the client uh, surely was just like, oh, that guy makes weird stuff and everyone's talking about it. We want to be talked about too. <laughs> I don't think it goes much deeper than that. All right. Well, thank you as always, Tim, for rounding up the week's best ads. It is time to move on to our big discussion of the week. All right, this week our cover story and our big annual feature in the Adweek print edition was our Project Isaac Awards. Uh, we've been doing these for several years now. They recognize basically inventive marketing, uh, marketing that uh, it's really more about the innovation, either in the technology more so than the creative concept. We have a we have several awards over the years, you know, over the course of the year that honor creative execution or marketing genius. This is really about pushing that envelope, especially in the technology realm, and not even so much inventing something that's, you know, that advances AI forward, but just coming up with a solution that no one's ever thought of. Uh, Robert, do you, what do you think is, you cover a lot and you organize a lot of our awards that, that honor great marketing. What, what do you think it is that sets the Project Isaac winners apart from a lot of the other stuff we, we honor, uh, that we honor and write about? There's something about Isaac that really appeals to me, and I say this as the guy who's in charge of the Brand Genius Awards. Um, when I look at the award landscape uh, here and I, I guess industry-wide, there seems to be an emphasis on, okay, who did a really cool campaign, um, you know, and what kind of results did that get? I really, really like the distillation of just innovation here because it's innovation with product, it's innovation with marketing, um, with commercial spots, and uh, it, it, it recognizes just a kind of raw inventiveness 
and spirit of inventiveness that I think is just is unique. And uh, I loved reading all of these. Now, last week, we kind of accidentally spoiled this a bit by talking about Brand Genius and talking about Whirlpool and uh, Whirlpool's uh, fantastic uh, campaign that brought uh, washers and dryers into schools and then found that it did have a positive impact on school attendance uh, among kids who could otherwise not afford, their families could not afford to do laundry and wouldn't always have clean laundry to send uh, kids to school in. We have a much longer article about that from Dave John Natasio on our site uh, because that campaign ended up winning our Gravity Award, which is the highest honor, basically the Grand Prix of Project Isaac. Uh, so we won't go too much into depth on that one since uh, we did talk about it quite a bit last week. Um, but I thought that was an interesting point, uh, Robert, that that one crossed over between both, uh, between uh, Brand Genius and uh, Project Isaac, which is something you don't always see. No, and it, but it, it also crossed over for, for similar reasons uh, because, I mean, obviously in this case, it was just a really, really groundbreaking uh, risk-taking thing to do in a sense. Um, the reason that the jury for Brand Genius paid attention to it is because from a branding perspective, you know, we hear so much about the about how much brands need to connect in a meaningful way, um, you know, with trying to help the underprivileged and, you know, making the world a better place. But what nobody ever talks about is how that is a lot harder for some brands than others. And if you happen to be making major appliances that go down in your basement, um, it's a little bit difficult to, you know, find a way to channel that into improving the lot of humanity. And I would have been hard pressed to do that with a washing machine, but they've done it. And um, it, it, it took courage. And it's just incredibly clever. Uh, and I usually have my guard up when it comes down to the feel-good factor of these things, but I found this incredibly moving. Now, I wanted to kind of prime the pump. We've got quite a few of these, so I just wanted uh, each of us to talk about uh, some of the ones that jumped out at us. I found that uh, three of the ones that really jumped out at me were in the beer category, <laughs> which, you know, is beer's always good for marketing and good for drinking to me. Good but, for life. Um, the, uh, but, you know, just some really fantastic creativity coming out of that sector. Uh, we had DB Export, which is a brewer uh, in, uh, I believe, New Zealand. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah. And they're, they worked with an agency, Colenso BBDO, to create a machine that lets uh, that basically smashes empty beer bottles at a bar. You throw it in and it smashes it down into sand and helps basically serve the, the high industrial demand for sand uh, that's needed in everything from construction to pharmaceuticals. And, you know, it's eroding beaches because people are able to sell sand. Uh, and so this is a way to convert your empty beer bottles into sand. Uh, but this is this is an idea whose time had truly come, right? Because now you can not only go out to your bar and drink, but the more you drink, the better planet we're all making for one another. I really liked this one, too, because, spoiler, I talked to them for our Media Plan of the Year issue, which will be coming out on stands next week on the 18th. Um, and, like, if there's one thing that I learned from them, uh, they kind of said, you know, Kiwis love their beaches. And so if you tell them there's a way to to save it and kind of prolong their enjoyment of it, if there's a hint of sun in the sky, they're going to be at the beach. So it was kind of really important for them to increase their recycling visibility and kind of helping any way they can. And I believe they're talking to other countries of maybe building kind of bigger, more industrial versions of these machines to kind of help that erosion you were talking about. Well, and and Tim, uh, you you may have, this may have jumped out at you as well. This to me feels like a much more practical uh, idea than the very celebrated brew trolleum mm -hmm. uh, stunt, uh, which converted, I think, what beer wort or used beer into... Like byproduct. Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah, into petroleum. That one just felt so ambitious and difficult to scale. This one, I can totally see every bar in, you know, at least in Brooklyn, having a machine that smashes your empty bottles down into sand. Potentially. You know, the, the scale issue is the thing that that um, concerns me with so many of the really clever ideas that we see. I think a lot of these uh, that we've recognized this week are scalable. I think you're right. I think um, this beer crushing machine probably not too expensive and uh if it, if it works over many many years it probably would clearly be a great investment but yeah i love that one um i also loved i think you were probably also going to talk about the mr monk campaign um, yeah totally which is a really cool uh, cool campaign where they they created uh, a label for for the uh, for this argentine beer brand it was wonderman buenos aires that worked on this they created a label that uses salt crystals to cool the beer from the outside 
Um, so they don't, because this brand can't afford to get into uh, the refrigerated shelf space at a lot of retailers. So the, this was a solution to a very specific retail problem. And that's part of what I loved about it. It wasn't just this fanciful idea that everyone said was clever. It, it solved a specific uh, retail distribution issue, issue that this brand had and, and in a very clever way. So that was a great example of, of tech packaging, which is often such a, you know, such a, I mean, all this, all the stuff that like Coors Light does, I mean, it's, you know, um, like the packaging innovations are so ridiculous, but this one seemed like truly inspired, I thought. Yeah, when I first saw that one, before I read exactly what it did, I was like, oh God, not another, like you put your hand around the beer label and the label appears based on the heat of your hand or it changes <laughs> color when it's cold. Like that's, I totally was prepared for that. And I was like, oh, it actually like cools the beer. I'm going to go out on a limb and guess it doesn't exactly knock it down to like 40 degrees, but still it's a, it's a great concept and it does highlight this kind of unfairness uh, which is is somewhat common, you know, the, this fight for shelf space. Uh, Robert, I, I feel like this comes up a lot, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, in, in, in uh, retail in general, uh, grocery, I'm thinking, uh, what's been a problem since the dawn of uh, time has been the, the high uh, slotting fees that, you know, have kept uh, upstart brands uh, off the shelves, either off the shelves, out of the refrigeration case, or away from eyeball level, which is the, you know, critical uh, uh, purchase point for so many consumers. And so, you know, rather than just pout about it, uh, I, I think they pulled a technological end run around the big boys. And uh, God, that's so refreshing. Now, another brew, uh, brewing one that I wanted to mention was Asia Pacific Brewery uh, in Singapore uh, came up with a stunt with Sapient, uh, Sapient, Sapient Razorfish. Man, that agency's changed names so many times. I can't remember what it's called. <laughs> mm-hmm. Sapient Razorfish. Uh, and they, they came up with a way to, you know, as many of us know, uh, if you were around in the 90s, I think is when this happened, Singapore. It was 1994 and a young man named Michael Fay. Yeah. Yeah. He, uh, he committed did some vandalism in, in Singapore as an American, and uh, yeah, he got beaten with a cane for that, uh, despite the international protest. But I, you know, a lot of us were like, "Hey, man, that's the law there." They actually kind of went easy on him, David. They had sentenced him to uh, six strokes, and they knocked it down to four. Oh, well, all right then. What largesse? Yeah, it's a a generous spirit. The uh, but uh, that obviously has kept up uh, because this stunt was they created a digital form of graffiti using this weird mix of projectors and LEDs and spray cans that don't actually create any paint, uh, but this uh, enabled uh, taggers to create. Uh, digital versions of graffiti art without actually committing any vandalism. Uh, again, will it scale? I don't know, but that's such a, you know, that concept makes so much sense for Singapore, but it has so much potential beyond Singapore, you know, just now that someone has invented that. I just had this vision of me trying this out in Singapore and still getting arrested and trying to explain <laughs> to the authorities, no, no, it's a thermal paint can. <laughs> It's an ad. It's, a, it's probably an ad. No, I, I'm a I'm a video influencer. <laughs> and then they and then they double your lashings. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, as soon as I whip out my ad week ID, I get solitary. You go from four to six. Sammy, what were uh, what were some of the uh, what were some of the campaigns that jumped out at you on this year's list? Um, well, like we said, I did love the DB one. Kind of beer bottle sand is kind of near and dear to my heart as a environmental, you know, aspiring savior. Um, but I am still kind of a, a big fan of kind of our, our Super Bowl coverage and Tide and Terry Bradshaw and just getting to see Jeffrey Tambor at all ever on television is always a treat. And I kind of enjoyed kind of how ridiculous and extreme that ended up being for an ad for Tide. Yeah, it just went on forever. Oh yeah, that uh, yeah, too. I mean, they, they they really. A, uh, I mean, it was a short I say film. that. <laughs> yeah, I say that as somewhat of a criticism, but also like you know, at some point you're just like, man, they really. Oh, oh, okay, they're really going all in. I'm hoping. <laughs> I'm liking trying to imagine just being on set and like a lot of it wasn't planned and they were just having fun and that's what it ended up being. Yeah, he uh, actually stole a golf cart. <laughs> and they were just like, oh, I guess roll it. Keep going. Yeah, don't cut. Uh, no, I don't know. I kind of I like the big silly stuff as much as anybody else. Uh, Robert, any uh, that jumped out at you? Yeah, there were two I really liked. Uh, well, I, I liked a lot of them, but um, the Volvo uh, Survivor Survivor Sales Agents, where they uh, uh, 
they took ordinary people that had survived very serious car accidents uh, in a Volvo. And I, I think that they kind of installed them in a local mall. Was that it? And um, they could kind of act as sales agents uh, uh, to passersby. That stood out at me because we hear so much and we write so much about authenticity and branding. And I just don't see how you could get more authentic than having people sure. whose lives were saved by a product talking about mm -hmm. the product. The other thing historically that jumped out about me, uh, jumped out at me about this, was that um, nobody r listening to this is likely to remember. But uh, back in the 1930s, the leading car brand in the United States was Packard. Um, and for years, Packard had a slogan uh, called Ask the Man Who Owns One. And their whole idea was don't take our word for it. Find somebody who drives this car and ask him what you want to know. Mm -hmm. And so that bit of wisdom is not new. And yet I think that it's just so smart. Instead of feeding people a line, go ask the person who drives this thing every day. I mean, can, I, it, you just cannot get more frank um, and believable than that. Uh, yeah, that was really, uh, you know, Robert, if I could, that one was made by We Believers, which is mm -hmm. an agency in New York um, that is very committed to really interesting, clever solutions to, to you know, social problems or issues that revolve around social problems. Um, you know, they did, most famously, they did the uh, edible six-pack rings for Saltwater mm. Brewery, mm -hmm. um, where they created a six-pack ring instead of plastic. Uh, it was it was biodegradable, actually edible by Sea Life. So that was pretty amazing. And and, and they also did another campaign that was recognized, um, the uh, the VDAC Center, the AI Buddy, um, which was a, a an AI character that was has been designed to help children who've lost a parent uh, mm -hmm. overseas while fighting uh, wars overseas. So really cool agency. Um, you said believable authenticity. I mean, this agency is called We Believers, and they. They do a lot of great work in, the, in these types of areas. Yeah. And the other thing that jumped out at me, just on a way more humorous and lighthearted note, was the uh, – and I know David's a fan of this too – the Domino's Pizza Registry. Yes. Um, <laughs> and, you know, like I, I, I'm not married, but I've survived enough weddings to know that um, <laughs> I, I just think so many people hate these wedding registries. And then when they do register, they always look for the cheapest thing on the list and half the time the, the couple doesn't even want the thing anyway. And I, I just – I love the acknowledgement of the universal truth that whether you're single or married, pizza is ultimately what everybody wants. <laughs> Yeah, the uh, and it's funny how CPB, their agency, is uh, is is trying to find ways to interweave Domino ordering into every single aspect and milestone of your life. You know, it's like or, order by emoji, order by uh, you know, it's like order from a tweet, order for your best friend's wedding. Um, I was going to take a step back and just mention the Volvo. One thing jumped out at me because the uh, and this is you know I not say it's a bad thing, but the same combination Volvo North Miami and We Believers uh, who did uh, the new one with Survivors. Uh, they also did a campaign that won a few awards, I want to say like two years ago, called the Volvo Hijacking Car Service. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, and so that's all I could think of. I was like, "Wow, this this survivors thing is really powerful. It's almost as good as their hijacking uh, stuff." <laughs> where they, they and the that one was like, uh, it it's not as bad as it sounds. It was basically like they faked uh, these listings for people to request a uh, to to try driving a luxury car and they would bring the car to your house so that you could drive it around but it was all fake and they would actually bring you a Volvo and they you'd say like but I ordered an Audi or whatever mm. and they'd say uh, you know but you should try this Volvo out anyway so the idea is that they're basically tricking people it ended up winning a bunch of awards uh, but yeah I just I just was like wow these guys really run the gamut <laughs> from hijacking to, to survivors of crashes so um, any others that you uh, that you really like there, Robert? There were a few that I, I don't really know if uh, if like would be the word, although they certainly jumped out at me. Um, it, maybe I'm showing every uh, every month of my 48 years on the planet, but uh, I was scratching my head with the uh, the rust per minute thing. Um, uh, although, I mean, I liked it because I thought it was extremely clever, but I really had to wonder if I was going to download an app and then hold my phone up to my sternum um, for the purpose of having this uh, technology sync my heartbeats to the appropriate rust tune. 
Um, because once it does spit out that list, I just kept thinking, great, and then what? Yeah, that's maybe it's one of those things where, you know, the classic Jeff Goldblum line of they were so busy trying to figure out if they could that they didn't stop to ask if they should. Like, you know, what, <laughs> Right. I mean, I, I just can't imagine having a bunch of friends over and saying, like, guys, check this out. This song syncs up with my pulse rate. It's so cool. <laughs> I feel like, uh, well, that was about to get philosophical about music, but sometimes music is a solo venture. And I can imagine if I'm in a particularly emotional emotional mood having a song that like matches my heartbeat is like oh how nice and i'm not so lonely but also again we don't maybe need it as a society sure. but it is cool sure. no but i take your point <laughs> and maybe the next thing they can do is come up with an app that'll you know help me sync my own heart rate to my favorite songs Ooh, you know? backwards reverse engineering <laughs> yeah i i feel like the the goal should be to it matches you up with a song that's maybe like 20 bpm uh, lower yes <laughs> you've got like 110 bpm <laughs> heartbeat and it's blasting a <laughs> hot banger at 100 <laughs> like you're not you're not calming down anytime soon uh, well uh we've got about one more minute tim were there any others that you wanted to highlight well i did like the nba 2k work that cpb did where they they integrated with the fitbit and to reward players um for walking more than 10,000 uh, steps themselves in their real life not in, not on a computer screen um i always like you know, i'm not a huge video game person or, or sports person really but um I'd love to see, you know, these campaigns that kind of go out into the real world and do do things in, in the world. Um, I think NBA 2K did something a, a year or two back where Steph Curry um, was playing better in real life than he was in the game. So they offered some kind of power-ups um, to make your, your, your virtual player better. I mean, these are just sort of fun, you know, ideas that, that take, you know, what's essentially a static kind of experience and they... They, they make it a little bit more real, uh, and that's you know the real the realism of video games is kind of you know everything. So I, re I did enjoy that one. All right, well, I definitely encourage everyone to uh, check out our full list of Project Isaac winners. Congratulations to all the agencies and brands that won this year, and and nonprofits. A lot of amazing stuff we didn't even have time to go through. Uh, if you just Google around for Project Isaac 2017, you will find the full list on Adweek.com. Uh, so thanks to our panel for coming to talk about that. Uh, don't forget, you can drop us an email for our panel and for myself at podcast at adweek.com. That's podcast at adweek.com. And uh, yeah, uh, we love to hear from you. Our theme music is by home. This episode was produced by Christina Monlos. Thank you, Christina. Uh, please take a moment, if you have not, to leave us a review on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts from. Those reviews mean a lot to us, and they help new listeners discover the show. I'm David Greiner from Adweek, and we will talk to you next week. Hey there, are you ready to elevate your personal brand or company? Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for video content and audience building. Imagine growing your brand organically on social media without the hassle of editing videos for hours. With Viral Growth, it's a breeze. They handle the brainstorming, scripting, and editing while you simply just hit record. And don't worry about your niche. They cater to everyone, from business and marketing to health and wellness. Are you ready to make waves in the social media realm? Visit viralgrowth.io and use code ADWEEK, that's A-D-W-E-E-K, all lowercase, and get 10% off your plan.